but no, I don't really like, I don't know what I'm going to do for the weekend, but I, now that we're all vaccinated, I want to be able to spend time with all of you guys. So, um, I would like to spend time with Paul and Andrew, (gasps) Paul, Andrew, like me or Paul and Andrew. Like Paul. And I always forget your middle name is Andrew. I know. It was going to be my first name, and then I had a cousin named Andrew. Had uh, he still exists? He's he's still alive. I was like, wait, what happened? I've met Andrew. What? I was like, fuck, oh, did Andrew die? Like that's so really stupid. Sad. So stupid. I can't. I want to see Andrew. I love him. He's so funny. I know. He I is. saw him yesterday. We like had a couple beers on his like rooftop deck, and then just like stared at the city. And there's like just a view of the city I've never really seen before. It's such a nice view of like downtown from there. It was completely unobstructed because it's all residential. That's so yeah. you don't ever come here. Um, okay, let's carry on. Oh, well, uh, that's our carry on segment. Kirk is telling us that we need to start the episode. So uh, welcome back to Let's Unpack That, everyone. Your weekly podcast where this queer, questionable, and questioning quintuplet unpacks topics at the top of our minds through the lens of anxiety, depression, and everything in between. I am Paul, and here I am with three of my favorite people in the world. And by favorite, I mean least favorite. So he's the main producer behind this podcast and the producer of his mother's hatred for the radical left, co-host and hot dog daddy, Andrew Nagy. Hot dog daddy. I do. I do love a hot dog. So thinking about your wiener. I like that. I like that one. I think what I meant to say is like hot dog, like, like your dog's hot or like, I meant to say like you're hot and the dad of a dog, but like it ended up being. Oh, a, a hot dog hey, oh, dead. okay yeah. i get it now i get it now we need yeah, to like weird. we needed to like diagram no, that I, like, I just like thinking i like the idea of andrew just being the king of hot dogs i feel like it tracks <laughs> <laughs> i like i said i like hot dogs right no one can change well, my mind on that i think hot dogs are so underrated they well are. you just heard her voice she spent this weekend playing volleyball but the only spike she's serving is the one she's about to put in your drink muppet impersonator and mega star erica ellis mega avn star have you ever have you ever roofied someone's drink um no but i have been i've been around someone who's been roofied yeah that's like the scary part yeah, because you're like, fuck, what? I don't know. It takes a minute to recognize it. This just got a little sad. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> I wasn't trying to make a joke like that. I was just saying like that you like to drop an extra thing in people's drinks. But um, speaking of extra things, um, he's circling the drain so hard that he's dangerously close to expressing his true emotions for the first time right here, right now. Human blade of grass, Kirk Wilson is here. <laughs> uh, human blade of grass, that's my favorite. I the circle of the drain song by Katy Perry is, is oh I didn't get that what is that oh that's not what the reference was I just that song when I searched like circle the drain to make sure I wasn't saying something super offensive I, I yeah it's like spiraling out of control I think uh, but like sure. it, <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's hurt. me. Well, we have a super exciting show for you all. Um, as you all know, we have a new format. Um, so this is our headline episode um, where we spend, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes unpacking some of the headlines that you missed from last week. So um, we're going to jump into that right now. Um, so, Andrew, I'll kick it off to you. What is your headline for the week? I'm going to once again talk about my girl, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I fucking felt it in my soul. I don't want this anymore. I don't want it either, but she is part of our government and she's bad. So stressed. The headline is Marjorie Taylor Greene launching America First Caucus, pushing for Anglo-Saxon political tradition. This is from CNN. So (laughs) she, I think she's talked about this before where she wants to create this uh, America First Caucus. And a caucus is just like a group or collective of politicians within the government. It could be across party lines that are concerned about a particular issue. And they're just sort of like, you know, they have a common goal and they're, they're trying to push for certain types of legislation that they all want. Um, like there's a congressional black caucus. Um, so a caucus in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing in the government, but this is a bad caucus. So her with other like alt-right or new right politicians 
New um, right. What is new the, right? I think they're trying to kind of get away from the alt right title and sort of like rebrand <laughs> themselves a little news. bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be, because the alt right, of course, is now it has for a very long time, rightfully so, been associated with you know, neo-fascism and other things that they absolutely are, but don't want to publicly say that they are. Um, so she and some other politicians, including, wait for it, Matt Gates, have been wanting to create this caucus. Um, and on Friday, a seven-page document leaked, which is sort of the, the policy platform for the caucus. And it is as bad and as wild as you probably think it is. Wait, so, so it, it leaked? It leaked? It was not released? Yeah, it leaked out. Um, So her spokesman confirmed it on Friday and said, yes, this is real, um, but this is only a first draft, kind of implying that, you know, when people got mad at it, that, um, well, it still needs to be wordsmithed a little. Um, (laughs) A kind of a a kind of. (laughs) Does not disguise its intentions. Um, So I think what they're trying to say. Quick quick wordsmith of the racism. We. I was going to say, let's wordsmith the race. We need to tone down the nationalism is basically what I'm getting from this before we go live with it. But then on Saturday, so she got a lot of pushback. I mean, like there's a couple articles out there of John Boehner calling it ridiculous and other people in sort of the establishment GOP are, are, you know, calling this out and saying this is bad, which is good to see from the GOP. Um, And then on Saturday, her spokesman said, oh, oh, actually, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is not launching anything, um, even though basically they said she was on Friday. On Saturday, they said, oh, no, it's not happening. Um, I think it's still going to be happening. They just realize that they have to dial back the language a ton. So this thing is, like I said, seven pages. It talks about Literally everything, everything from elections, big tech, immigration, the pandemic, uh, China, education. Uh, Obviously, we can't cover it all now. Like we would have to like make a whole podcast series to talk about this thing. The standout section, though, is the immigration section. As you can imagine, it's the longest. Of course, it is easily the worst. Um, So it it claims that foreign citizens are quote imported en masse, um, and it calls for the end of all forms of amnesty and a pause on legal immigration. The document sums up its nationalistic stance in two very telling sentences. Quote, America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. And further goes on to say, the future of America as a unique country with a unique culture and a unique identity are being put at unnecessary risk. And it makes a very weird distinction that nearly all immigration since 1965 is bad. But for some reason that we'll get to, immigration before 1965 was good because, quote, cohorts before 1965 were more educated, earned higher wages, and did not have an expansive welfare state to fall back on when they could not make it in America and thus did not stay in the country at the expense of the native born. So it's basically saying, I think, I'm not sure why the 1965 distinction, but probably because much of the immigration before 1965 was white. White people, yeah. Yes. So that's why the immigration pre-1965 was good. I feel like if you looked at her family history... It's like the first person for, from like in her family to immigrate was 1965. And she said, cut this shit off. Like, yeah. To me, the whole section on immigration is just a soft version of the 14 words. So the 14 words is a white nationalist slogan that was coined by David Lane, who is a member of a white supremacist, uh, white supremacist terror group known as the Order. The 14 words are, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. That is literally the same, saying this exact same thing as, as this document to me. And I think that's what they realized when they put this out or, well, it leaked. So, you know, if it's a first draft or not a first draft, I don't know. That could be just their cover story. But that's what this is, basically. It's wild. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm okay. So I like, I totally headlined the story. Like I did not go into it. All I saw was just like, Oh, there was some awful stuff in a document. And like, I'm legitimately playing catch up right now. It's just like, I feel like just picking up where Trump 
wanted to go right like that's what it for after looking over it kind of like the america first thing like i feel like is very much like oh it act, it actually says that it, it, it says does. in on the first page it says the afc the america first caucus will follow in president trump's footsteps yeah well of course it says that i and like number one so the party of uh you know anti-cancel culture is now trying to cancel amnesty i mean that could also be a full podcast episode you know like they want to get rid of amnesty so that they never have to be held accountable for every anything in their entire political career like sometimes sometimes I, i feel like it's lost for words but it's also like it's it's like a codified version of white supremacy like it is a full blown more well-written more sneaky version of white supremacy than we've seen luckily the events of the last couple of years are hopefully going to help us call this stuff out like i didn't realize it went that bad and i i felt like i read one or two articles on it like but i just didn't read the actual text or the memo and and that's why this is my headline because I feel like this should be front page news right now. Um, because like you said, I mean, it's basically the 14 words just spread over several hundred words. Right. And this is just kind of like, I mean, it's sort of at the bottom of the news cycle right now. It kind of came out. It's like, Oh, crazy Marjorie Taylor green again. Um, but there are other politicians that were part of this. And what's kind of obnoxious to me other than Matt Gates is none of these articles really call out who else is involved in this. I would like to know because yeah. other people have seen this document and other people conceivably have signed off on it. And I don't even care if it's a first draft. Like if they soften the language, like that's a problem too. It's actually good that this leaked out as it is right now. So we can kind of see them. There's a, a thing that people in the alt-right, neo-fascist, white supremacist spaces do. Um, they call it hiding their power level. And the idea is that basically you need to not come right out and say the 14 words and things like that. You need to hide it and and massage it and wordsmith it in such a way so that somebody like Tucker Carlson then can go on Fox News and say, well, the left just redefines white supremacy to mean it, whatever they want it to mean. And they say everybody that they don't like is a white supremacist. This person isn't a white supremacist. They don't literally have a swastika tattooed on their chest. They haven't said out loud that they are a white supremacist. And this is disproving that like that's obviously just a smokescreen you don't need to have a swastika tattooed on your chest you don't need to say i am a white supremacist to be those things it's 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 no different than this argument that i've been dealing with on my fucking instagram for the last five days of how can you say that this cop was racist? She didn't have to yell the N word at him for her to be racist. She didn't have to, you know, be like, Oh, we've got another one, you know, to be rich. She didn't have to say anything, you know, to be racist. But when the institution is racist and the institution is sorry, I'm hot. Well, it's it's the same thing. It's like when the institution actively disadvantages people of color, specifically young black men, then the people who uphold that institution play a role in racism. So whether this police officer was actively putting things out there about like neo-Nazism and, you know, white supremacy, she was part of a system that was miles away from George Floyd she was part of a system that, you know, killed Dante Wright. And she's part of this larger system where we have seen that young black men are, you know, two times more likely to be, or, or black people, I'm sorry, are, are, are two times more likely to be murdered by police. Um, and like, you know, four times, you know, when it's at a traffic stop. I think that it's scary that that white supremacists like Marjorie Taylor Greene are not necessarily getting more clever because if they were clever, this wouldn't have gotten out in this format. But it's, it's, I think it's something that we all need to be concerned about because like Andrew, you've heard that as feedback from people in your life. Like yeah, you've yeah. heard that feedback that it's like, Oh, well, people are just so quick to call anything racist or anything white supremacist. It's like, no, like, like, no, it's all of us peeling back some of the layers that we were never were able to see before that some groups of people, specifically minority people, were systemically disadvantaged by our institutions, which is why we are not so quick to call it out. Because if we were quick to call it out, 
half of these people wouldn't be dead at the hands of police um, or the Capitol, you know, insurrection would not have happened. Um, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene would not have been elected to Congress if we were all better at catching this stuff, you know, so we're not quick to jump to call this out. It actually takes us a really long time to call this out. And um, so I'm very happy like that you brought this up because I would have passed over this news completely, um, but I'm hot. So I want to take a seat and see if anyone else has anything else to say. <laughs> Retweet. Like it, <laughs> I mean, also it's like, I had this realization a couple days ago, like how much it's sometimes it's not worth it. Right. Like certain people will just refuse to have any accountability and play any role in dismantling a system that completely disproportionately affects people of color, specifically Black men when it comes to law enforcement and Black women when it comes to the medical mm -hmm. community. And it's just this matter of they want to be ignorant to it so they know that, so they don't have, so they don't have to sit and look at themselves and say, I have responsibility to this. You can't be responsible for something that doesn't exist. And if they believe that it exists, well, then they have to start doing the work. And by and large, a lot of these people have lived their whole lives not having to do the work for anything. Like it was all just there and it was a perfect set. All they had to do was hit it. And they were sitting, standing on a box. They didn't have to jump. Just move your hand and it's there. So I think it's, I hit a point where I'm like, you know what, if you're going to be ignorant, you're going to be ignorant. But the way that the world is moving, you are going to be behind. And I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is, came in at the perfect time because there's this collective of people who the world is leaving them behind. And people are like, listen, I don't want to hang out with you because of your bullshit ideals and how hurtful and harmful they are. And People like Marjorie Taylor Greene are there to just come up right behind them and sweep it all up like a fucking street cleaner and take whoever, all the people who feel disenfranchised saying, hey, this is a home for you, but it's a home built on hate. But hey, if you stick with us, we'll take care of you and you don't have to worry Using about your job to a black person or, you know, yeah. 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 You guys bring up really great points. Um, and I don't want to spend too much more time on this. Bitch, but, I do. I <laughs> <laughs> well, what is, what is very interesting and frustrating to me about this document is that it gets a lot of things right throughout it because it's talking about all the major issues that we, our country is facing nowadays. Um, it mentions depressed wages. It mentions, you know, how the working class is being left behind in this country. It, it mentions the military industrial complex. The section on foreign wars is actually something I almost a hundred percent agree with. Mm. It is fully against the wars in the middle East. The fact that they're basically profit driven wars. That's why we've been at it for two full decades. And I completely agree with that, but all of these things that it gets right, it gets the reasons why those things are happening completely wrong right we have a common enemy in this country no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on and it's basically unfettered unchecked capitalism unregulated capitalism and all the things that go along with it there it multiple times this document talks about an elite wealthy oligarchy in this country and that's a thing that exists people like jeff bezos I mean, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene herself, let's yeah. be real. She's a multimillionaire business 100%. owner that yeah. is a carpet bagger that, that moved to a different district so she could be in the election and win yep. the seat. She knew exactly and, the type of people that she could prey on, which yeah. are people who are frustrated with the system, many of them for valid reasons. You know, she knew she could yep. prey on people's racism. You know, she knew that she could sort of unlock and unleash all of this stuff so that she would have the ability to profit off of her role in the United States Congress because she is a one percenter, yes. you know, and she's going to use the people who are not even close and never will be close to get elected that make policies that hurt them. But because she champions 
white supremacy because she champions Anglo-Saxon ideals. What the fuck does that mean? Uh, <laughs> and let's let's not forget. Let's not forget that like math came from the fucking Middle East. It came from the Arab world. <laughs> like all of these things that we claim are part of Western culture came from an amalgamation of different cultures throughout history and now we're just i mean that is the whitest shit to do to just basically claim that all of these things are just white people <laughs> shit and that it somehow all sprang into existence on in 1776 this is what is so frustrating is all of these people they, they have very legitimate concerns there's a reason they feel disenfranchised there's a reason that they all voted for donald trump there's a they feel the same way that we all feel in this country about all the things that are wrong with the country and but the issue is they have they have the wolf claiming to be a sheep telling the other sheep what to do and marjorie taylor green is is in this instance that wolf saying oh it's those other rich people it's those leftist elitist rich people the globalists which we all know from our good buddy alex jones is just code for the jews exactly and (sighs) it's just just so frustrating because it's like we have the same issues Mm -hmm. well i think the one thing that they do though it's like they prey on not not French. They they have these bread like those people that we're talking about that are disenfranchised, having the pine hips to issues that are similar to our issues. You know, it might be different, but care about the same thing. It's I feel like they that same group has like four or five things that they really care about Trump, yeah. everything that is affected like that like abortion or um gay right, not 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 wanting, you know, being being against gay rights or um, all different types of things like that, that then these leaders, like she does, she's all about, you know, um, she'll go out there and talk about um, being pro-life and all that kind of stuff. And they see that and that mean, that means more to them than what's actually affecting their life. Like, and she was voted on, um, a demonstration I saw that there was the, um, there was a bill on um, the national, I don't know, national marrow donor program. And I think it, it, she and another, um, it was her and, and Lauren Boebert to vote against yeah. it. And it was, uh, yeah, Bobert, Bobert. But they basically, the only two, and the, her reasoning was because there's nothing in the bill that prevented um, I, abortions it, or something. It was like, that was like her reasoning. Nothing in this bill prevents the funding of aborted fetal tissue by taxpayers. It literally saw Bomaro to save people who have lives, who have leukemia. And they voted no. I mean, it, it didn't matter because there was obviously more votes for it, but still it's just those little things. Right. And then, then that's the headline. Right. That's what someone's going to read. And they're like, oh, we love her because she's standing up for... Um, fetal rights, and then that's it. That's enough for them. So I think it's well, not one. Exactly. You want to talk about virtue signaling, kind of right? Exactly. That's that's them virtue signaling mm-hmm. to their base these these issues that they know. That's why votes were cast for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. it's I I find it so frustrating, Andrew. I think you talked about the reasoning well, and Kirk. I think you just hit on something too, is that you glaze over the headlines. You just talk about you just get this one talking point it's the substance of what you understand um and then what you say is well it kind of sounds like she's on my side but all the people funding her campaign are the same people who are keeping you in minimum wage jobs all the Mm -hmm. people funding her campaign are the same people who are denying you healthcare access or making it more uh, more expensive like and it's so if you don't dig deep, you know, you'll miss it. Just like I missed core elements of what was in this sort of leaked document. Yeah. And and the stuff that we just discussed is not talked about in any of the articles. It's not fucking they pick out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. They they picked out those those quotes in the immigration section that were the the white nationalist, white supremacy quotes. And they absolutely should like that should be called out, but they need to talk about the rest of this too. You know, one of the big reasons they say there shouldn't be any more immigration is because they're claiming that this influx of people, um, 
you know, one for one thing, it's it's sort of a it's it's they're hinting at the great replacement yeah. conspiracy theory that them, they, the global cobble, the globalists, whoever are trying to replace white people with the not white people, basically. Um, but they're also saying that, you know, this is this is the reason why you're not making as much money as you should be making right now. That is what they keep saying over and over and over yeah. again, is that these people coming here are depressing wages, not that the capitalist machine will try to extract as much labor from you as it possibly can and pay you as little as it possibly can. In other places, it says that there should be less regulations. Um, They want less regulations in the government. They want to reduce the power of the federal government. You know, it is constantly contradicting itself. Um, In talking about China, it says correctly that the outsourcing of manufacturing from America to countries overseas has created sort of these proto-slave states where third world countries, more impoverished countries, were basically, the companies are basically exploiting the labor of these poor people on a global scale. Um, And in a lot of ways, it almost is like almost slavery because people that basically live in a town dedicated to one factory, like that's how Foxconn, Mm. the company that makes so many components for Apple products and many other products, products that we're using right now to record this podcast. Mm. There's basically towns that grow up around a single factory. That's those people's whole lives. All they do is go to that factory and work. And then they crawl home at the end of the night and sleep for a little bit and they get paid almost nothing. You know, that is why your wages are lower. That is why you don't have jobs right now is because these companies are allowed to do this. She blames that, this document blames that solely on politicians. She says it's politicians are are what is causing this new slavery in the world. No, it's unchecked, unregulated capitalism. It's the fucking man. It is the fucking man. We've got to move on. I we've got to am move on. so mad. Um, and I think that it's an opportunity for us to talk more about this because I know the news shared recently that she's withdrawing it and pulling it back, but that's only temporary, right? We all know there will be another yeah. draft um, at some oh. point. So um, white supremacy doesn't quit, but Democrats... Yeah in between elections often do. So we need to make sure that we stay on top of that. Um, If we were still doing takeaways, I would say everybody should read this document because (laughs) this, this, these seven pages summarize the entire philosophical stance of the alt-right. It, it's literally every single thing that they talk about and they care about. And that is what they're trying to push into America. That is what has been working its way slowly into our society and the the rise of neo-fascism over the last five to six years, you know, and now we have Marjorie Taylor Greene in the government. She's here and she's not going to be the last. There's going to be more of them. Agreed. Erica, what's your headline for the week? Okay. April 15th, Indianapolis, eight people were killed and several, several others wounded. April 15th, Pensacola, Florida, six people injured. In an apartment complex, April 15th, D.C., four people, Baltimore, um, two shooters opening up into a group of four, April 13th, April 12th in Chicago, four people shot, one fatally, April 11th, Wichita, Canvas, one was killed, three others injured, April 11th, Seattle, a toddler and three people were injured, April 10th, Memphis, Tennessee, one was killed, three others injured. I could quite literally keep going for the rest of this podcast. Um, There have been 45 mass shootings in the past month, um, according to CNN. I will now state my bias sources, even though it's literally just a culmination of, you know, local news. It's just a list, but yes, yeah. (laughs) Good. (laughs) This is what happens when America starts to go back to normal. And um, I had this kind of thought that I wish, I wish we were still in that like March, April, May twenty. 20 quarantine without obviously the deaths and the sickness because 
it actually felt a little peaceful. You know, I think the news was definitely dark, but it was dark for a reason that we were all kind of going through. And like, even though, yes, you can, COVID in some sense is preventable, this pandemic was not. It came and it only became this bad because of leadership, but at least it wasn't toddlers getting killed for no reason. Um, People not being safe at a FedEx facility, people not being safe at their grocery store. It's like, it's getting to the point where there's a mass shooting for any fucking thing you have to do through the week, you know, go to the DMV. There's probably a mass shooting at a DMV somewhere. Um, And the fact that there's still this argument on gun control and I've seen, I can't, maybe his name is like Maj Tour or something like that. He's like a black conservative voice, um, very pro-gun. And everyone's saying like, oh, you know, we don't need gun control. Gun control is racist against black people. Um, We shouldn't be fighting for gun control. And I'm just like, we, this isn't working. Like it is so apparent. If you look at a, um, a bar chart of all the countries, when it comes to gun violence, it's like us and a few um, South American countries. And I think America pretends to be something that it's not. I think America like wants to say, oh, we're just like those European countries. Um, we're just like, you know, those Nordic countries. Like we're the country that has it together. But the compare, it, really these are white countries. You compare us to most predominantly white countries, it is bar none. We are five, six, seven, ten, twenty times more than they are, um, hundred times more than they are. And it's so frustrating that we haven't done anything because we have so much framework. Like we have so many good examples for it. And I think it's this very classic American thing where we say, um, socialized healthcare would never work in a country like this. And then you look at most of the, you can literally go up, you can drive what, eight hours to Toronto and you'll see what it looks like. Um, Gun control would never work in this country. Again, drive up eight hours, you'll see what it looks like. And the people who are fighting the hardest to prevent gun control are the people least affected. And that's what's so brutal for me. Because I'm sure Marjorie Taylor Greene is not worried about gang violence and whatever Levittown-esque community, sundown town she grew up or she lives in. And it's all these people who are like, no, no, we need to protect our guns. But they're not the ones who have to bury their 17-year-old cousins. They're not the ones who have to see on FaceTime the dead body of their 20-year-old son while his child's mother is showing, saying, what do I do? I'm scared. It's getting to the point where it's just, it's a race thing. Like, I don't care what anyone says. Gun control is solely based off of a racist idea that if we control guns, then we lose the toys that we like. Forget what that means for everyone else. And I'm sick of it. I'm, it could be my packet up, but I have another packet up because I'm hot this week. But I, I'm just so tired of that being the headline. And it's getting to the point where we're not hearing about these. We stopped caring about these. And maybe 20 years ago, four people being shot in an apartment complex for no reason might have been a bigger headline than it was. But now it's just a regular part of the news cycle. It's going to be 70 degrees on Wednesday and 10 people were shot last night. And I think, first, thank you for sharing that. It's heartbreaking, right? Like, it's it's completely heartbreaking. Like, I, when you first started talking, I knew exactly where you were going to go. And like, I wasn't ready to hear it. I empathize and sympathize with everybody who heard that and just felt hopeless because it's so easy to, to feel that way. Um, 
And it's almost, I would say, 100% normal to feel that way. Um, 2020, if people didn't know, was the record for gun sales um, in the United States. 40 million guns were purchased in 2020. 8.5 million people purchased their first gun in 2020. And all of these statistics are publicly available. I will use Business Insider as my uh, quote. Um, but then in January of this past year, 4 million more guns were purchased. We have way more guns than people in this country. It's way too easy to have too many guns. And there is clearly a direct correlation between gun ownership, legal or not, and violence. And I am so fucking tired of it. It's exhausting and heartbreaking to wake up and read the news about gun violence because it is a problem that has continued. People are scared to send their children to school. They are scared to go to church. They are scared to go back out in public now, even after vaccination, because there is going to be rising crime because it sort of felt like last year was maybe a little bit calmer. But with all the influx of guns and all the now influx of new freedom and the influx of uh, gun control repeals or gun law repeals and, and less restrictions, I am so scared of what's going to continue to happen. And as you were talking, Erica, you know, it's, when is it going to affect me personally? When will it be someone in my life? How am I going to react to it? You know, like, will it impact me? I don't know. But like, like, will it impact people I know tangentially know where right now I have been kind of separated from it, but gun violence in the suburbs is rising just as much as it is in the city. So it's not, you know, it, it, it's not this like, like, like this, this story that we're also used to hearing of the inner city problems. Like that's, that's not what this is. It's, we have a fucking gun problem in this country Mind you, I think it was Friday, Texas passed a bill around constitutional carry, which means that you are no longer required a gun permit to carry a gun per publicly in the state of Texas. So while people are being murdered daily, the governor of Texas, and like, yes, we all know Texas is tied for the worst state in our union, obviously with Florida. And Mississippi. Yeah. I think they forgot about themselves. So I forget about Mississippi. <laughs> I, like I have family who's been, who've lived in Mississippi and I wrote that state off years ago, but same with Arkansas, but amidst so many reasons why we need to be stricter with gun control, there are states who are pulling back restrictions and we've seen it with COVID. We've seen it with so many things where it, it's just that this country is so focused on the idea of freedom and not the actuality of freedom. Because I think people tend to forget that with every single right on, in the Constitution, it comes with a caveat that you were allowed this right until it impedes on another person's right. And it's... Life, liberty, and the pursuit I was of happiness. Just going to say it. Yeah. A lot of lives. <laughs> yeah, and that that does not mention guns, and that yeah. impedes upon people's right to the other right three to things. Right to safety, you know. I mean, if you go on yeah, like right yeah, live, literally like, the right to, to, on a few to different life. like um, major media outlets, there's literally they all have different names. I'm looking at CNNs right now. Like section, like there's a section that says U.S. gun violence. Like that's a section now on our media websites mm -hmm. and then it's just like one two three four five six seven different articles all different shootings within the past we won today in austin texas i don't know if anyone's even seen that one i saw it earlier um it's a domestic thing but it was three people dead yeah. uh, gun violence um 
I, I agree. I think that Paul, to your point about the like, it's it's happening in the suburbs, it's happening everywhere. I mean, Erica, you mentioned, you know, it happens at school, no matter where it is, it, 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 you can't go anywhere without thinking about it. Um, but I, I I think about these people, like, and I got not to bring up um, Andrew's girlfriend again, but Marjorie, like, like she, like, <sighs> it's a perfect example of like, I mean, she believes that what shooting didn't happen. Sandy Hook. Sandy oh, yeah. Hook. Like, like this very much could happen to her. And I don't think, I don't, I don't know if these people would change if it happened to someone in their life. Cause I feel like it's gotten close. It's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I, I think that's just the people, they, they still be like, I, this is really hard for me. It's the same thing as if like, if their like family member died of COVID, I feel like they would not change their thoughts on COVID. They would still say it's a hope. It's like, it's unfortunate that that, you know what I mean? Like they would be an affected person, but I still think they would stand their ground. Yeah. My friends who are nurses like said that people were telling them that they were not sick yeah. when they were diagnosed yeah. with COVID it's and like those people don't died. care. It's easier to justify the the death of a loved one um, as not from COVID. Oh, it was because they had diabetes or whatever else. Like they were going to die anyway from something else. Or it's, you know, if, if gun violence affected somebody who is a hardcore 2A person, you know, right. Second Amendment person, um, they... <laughs> Yeah, that's really what they, what call, they it. call it. Um, yeah, it's like they're yeah they they would justify it because it is easier to justify it than to go back on that position to admit you're wrong. That is one of the fundamental problems to our whole country, to our system of politics. Now, you know, somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody like Trump, and it's true on the left too. You your policy positions, their policy positions have become them. It is the reason that they're in power. It's the reason people voted for them. They cannot go back on it regardless of the evidence, regardless of how they feel. Um, you know, I think that's the case with somebody like Sean Hannity or, or Candace Owens or Tucker Carlson. This is the reason that people listen to them. Could you imagine any of them saying, Oh, you know what? Actually I was wrong. I mean, barring Candace Owens. These were smart people. Like like Tucker Carlson, <laughs> as painful as it is for me to admit, is a very smart person. He's a very smart man. Or he has smart producers. <laughs> or he has smart producers. But I think he knows what he's doing. And I think he, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of the, the people that are in positions of power, because again, like Tucker Carlson, deep into the 1%, he's heir to frozen dinner fortune of all the silly things to be an heir to. That is so on brand. That is so on brand. It is hilarious. Unseasoned frozen chicken breast. I love a good frozen meal. Oh, God. None of this affects him personally. The whole country could burn down around him. He'll be fine. Same with Marjorie Taylor Greene. They claim that they care about the struggle of the, of the working class, the opioid crisis that has crushed white rural America and suddenly we care about, you know, drug policy as soon as it starts affecting white rural Americans. But right, they claim they won't to, stop to taking money. So Yeah, but it, it does not affect them. It does not affect them. It's just a bargaining chip to them. I, I think it's the same with this. Like it because it doesn't affect them. And even if it kind of does affect them, it is more important for them to remain in their position of power or authority or celebrity. And it's so frustrating because we know the viewpoint that we're sharing for the most part, it outnumbers those other people, but because of the way that the Senate is designed, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> like the minority has more power than the majority in this country. And I know that parts of it were designed that way and parts for many reasons, maybe that works. Um, but you know, for things like this, you know, largely popular gun control issues, we cannot do anything, even when 67% of Americans support stricter gun laws, like, because the Senate is fucking broken. And I just, normally, I feel like we love to laugh. But like today, I just, um, I mean, you could look at like New Zealand. I mean, there's been hundreds of countries, but like, like, like there was a shooting in the next day, the next day, there was gun, gun reform, the next yeah. fucking day. Oh, yeah. Well, and that sounds insane Australia. to me, but it's so normal. Like that is so normal. I know. Australia is like the poster child for it, where there was there was an American yeah. level massacre. I mean, it was it was tens of people. I th I think it was close to thirty people, or maybe even over thirty people. Um, and and they universally got behind enacting 
very, very, very strict gun control in that country. And as far as I know, Australia is still there. Yeah. People, people are still living there. They're still being Australians. They're living more than we get. Right now, yeah. They also got fucking yeah. COVID under control. <laughs> and again, it's so easy for people to say, oh, well, owning guns, but also having strict gun controls works in Nordic countries because they're smaller countries or because they have a more homogenous culture, which is just a racist way of saying that because they have more white people, mm. um, they're not shooting each other basically. Mm-hmm. And with the COVID argument, oh, well, Australia is an island. New Zealand is an island. That's why they were able to keep it under control better than us. And yes, that plays into it. But a larger thing is like they enacted strict lockdowns and social distancing measures and then paid their citizens to stay home. And people got behind it. Right. And they evaluated their healthcare system and they evaluated the number of patients that they could serve. And they said, wow, if we hit X amount of limit, we are fucked. And here we looked at our healthcare healthcare system and said, we have the greatest healthcare system in the world. So we're going to keep plowing through, which we all know is not true. But I think we've hit on a theme a little bit is that it's very frustrating, I think. And I think people can indulge in their frustration. Um, you know, but be ready to act. It's that, you know, when policing is getting more violent, Republicans will respond by protecting the police. When people become more accepting of transgender Americans, Republicans will respond by infringing upon transgender Americans' rights. When gun violence gets so bad, Republicans will respond by making it easier to get a gun. When voting is at an all-time high, Republicans will respond by making it more difficult to vote. And so I think in this podcast and these previous episodes, too, we've just hit on a theme, I think, of there's a party that is actively trying to go against the large majority of the American people. And it's not rooted in fact. It's not rooted in reason, I would say, Andrew, as you kind of described in your your headline. So I think we need to continue to be aware of it and continue to fight it, even on some of the days that we're tired without, you know, fully draining ourselves. But all of these things we're recognizing are direct responses to the progress, quote unquote, that we are making in other areas. But Kirk, I do want to go to you for your headline as well. Yeah, mine, I think will be, mine's not as, I think it's a bit of a tone shift. Yeah, make um, us laugh, make us laugh. I don't, it's not funny. Fuck. It's just like more of a, <laughs> <laughs> it's more of, just, I can think of a new one. No, it's more of like a conversation that we've kind of had, I think a bit, a little bit, but I, I read this, I think everyone should go read it. It's just interesting. It was an NPR article that I read this week. Um, and I've been, people have been mentioning this throughout COVID, I think, um, since the beginning, this idea of, anyway, the headline is life in the roaring 2020s, young people prepare to party, reclaim lost pandemic year. And it talks about the whole article talks about the actual roaring twenties from the, you know, from a century ago. And it's just really interesting seeing how, what this could, could this look like that? And from the, not just from a social perspective, from a business perspective, from an economy perspective, from a boom, are, are things going to boom? Um, the article itself seems pretty, I mean, the people in it that were interviewed seem really optimistic about more so in the coming months. I don't know if it's that, if we're still there yet of, you know, things turning around in the next coming months in a big, big way. But um, it was interesting to see them compare um, us right now to like, our, technically like our, I guess our great grandparents. So I think I realized would, would, would have been those people that mm-hmm. were, of adult age in the roaring twenties. Well, my great grandparents were black, so it probably wasn't that great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm glad you said it. (laughs) Grandparents were black. It's crazy. (laughs) Who would have thunk? Well, one of the things I didn't read from it, um, there was talking about this idea. I know people who are fortunate enough to, I think, you know, people have either lost their job in the pandemic or have had the luxury of not losing their job and then not having a social life or any kind of life and saving money. 
And there was this, it, um, historically, when there are pandemics or, or plagues or whatever, the people that save a bunch of money, they spend it ridiculously right after. And I'm just, I've had to laugh at that because I think like one thing I've been fortunate enough to not lose my job during this. And I like, oh, well, I've, I'm saving a lot more money than I ever would ever right now in my life. And um, I wonder what that will look like a half a year from now when I'm traveling everywhere and, and spending all the money that I'd saved. I just want you guys all to know that my sister's getting married soon and I'm filling up my Nordstrom cart with shoes. <laughs> I'm buying all of them because here I am thinking, okay, well, it's about to be a hot girl summer and I got to start doing hot girl shit and I need the shoes for it. I am doing bad things this summer. I am going out, not like indoor anywhere. Cause I still like, I wouldn't want to do that cause it's summer anyway, but I'm going to the shore I'm not even wearing a bikini. I'm getting a couple pieces of string and some band-aids. <laughs> like, I'm here, bitches. <laughs> I mean, I'm going wild. Like, I'm I agree. Like, I, I already feel like, you know, I'm sort of trying to roar through, especially after, you know, I feel like I worked through some of my anxiety on our last episode, but like I'm ready to like go and and take some things on. I'm really excited to go to Iceland. I'm really excited to respectfully go to Iceland um, and not interact with many locals um, so that we don't bring any of our American germs or, you know, uh, capitalistic um, tendencies. Um, but, you know, I am can't wait, I think, to sort of embrace some of those like post-COVID things, assuming, of course, that we can get you know, everybody vaccinated who needs to be vaccinated because there are so many folks who are skeptical right now and we really need to continue to work on them, um, you know, without attacking them. But um, I can't wait that I think that we will roar a little bit. We will act up a little bit. And I think it's going to be really, really fun. Act up, you can get smacked up. Oh, excuse us. City girls. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, this is our headline segment, which is sort of like part one of two episodes that we released during the week. We will be back on Thursday. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we will talk to you all again soon. If you are so inclined, please uh, rate, like, subscribe, share with your friends, post about us on social media because we love the attention and we love the listens. So thank you all so much for joining. This has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Talk to you soon.